Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Thank you for choosing the Tropical MBA podcast. We are back. Boss man, do you know what the TMBA listeners say their favorite kind of episodes are? Um, the ones where me and you come on here and say what we think we know about business. Oh, man. So without is further ado, today, at the top of the episode, we're going to give you our five biggest business updates from the beginning here of Q4. So we're going to have our year-to-date summation. Not quite a year-end update, but a lot has happened, a lot to catch you guys up on. We're also going to address a few listener questions. The first is, how much money is enough money? And the second is a request that we revisit the Europe question. If you're curious about what that is, stick around to the end and a few more little tidbits along the way. All right, the first one, we are splitting out remotefirstrecruiting.com, which will be powered by Dynamite Jobs from dynamitejobs.com. That's a big one. If you go over to your browser and you type in remotefirstrecruiting.com, you're going to see our website pop up, hopefully. So why are we doing this? This is a huge, enormous business update. We've been talking about this brand, Dynamite Jobs, for years now on the podcast. Here's why. Dynamite Jobs at its core, is an increasingly sophisticated promotional platform for remote companies who hire often and need to maximize candidate flow. However, remotefirstrecruiting.com is a quickly growing agency that helps founders, CTOs, and COOs of SaaS, e-commerce, and agency companies hire their next critical team member. We use our experience. We use multiple job boards and promotional techniques. We are DJ agnostic in that sense. And we help you get who you need next and do it full service. That's a service company. It's got a different audience. It's got a different value proposition. There's a ton of crossover. And it's amazing that we have one for the other. But it took us a long time to come to terms that fundamentally these two businesses have different audiences. The punchline Remote First Recruiting, our agency, deserves its own shine. No more three clicks to find our sales page or our service offerings. And the other elements of that website will support founders who are looking to hire their next key team member. And that's a much different proposition than supporting hiring managers who are looking to post a job post. I want to touch on a couple of things. One is just a crossover. So I think this happens a lot when you start a business is you don't know what you're doing. It's still the case with what we're doing is we don't know what we're doing, but we don't know what we've learned doing. a couple of things. One is that the people that are posting jobs over at Dynamite Jobs in a lot of ways are different customers than remote first recruiting customers. And it seems like it's the same thing because you're trying to hire someone to fill a role, but in fact, it can be very different. So give you an example. Over at Dynamite Jobs, we are finding that some of our customers are mid to large in size, and they're using it as a hiring funnel, meaning they need a constant flow of candidates to fill their roles. And that's very different than the recruiting work that we're doing over at Remote First Recruiting. 
So over at Remote First Recruiting, the problem is a little bit different. Some of these companies hire several times a year. Some of these companies only hire one or two times a year. The stakes are very high and they need help. They need expertise. And our team is able to provide that. It became the case, Dan, where we just thought like you would come to Dynamite Jobs and like if you had a hiring problem, you would kind of figure it out. Like you'd be like, oh, I'll just post a job or I'll just contact these guys for recruiting. But it turns out like people are coming to us at very different starting points. So remote first recruiting is turning into an agency and a good one at that. And Dan, I never thought we would own an agency after all this talk on the podcast about creating products. Now mm. we own this agency and we've talked about sweet, not starting agencies. irony. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out it's a good we agency. We resisted for a long time. We resisted because we wanted to build this job platform cash flow with the agency. But it turns out that so many of our customers don't have super strong hiring processes. And let me put it what I mean by that. The best customers of a job board typically have super strong hiring practices that are built over years that have in-house staff. In other words, you're hiring like 25 plus times a year. You're a company that has reps, reps, reps. You've hired for the same position multiple times. Whereas with an agency customer, which are typically startup founders, they're seeking to buy those systems into their business, right? They know they need to hire. They might be hiring 10 times a year, but every time it's a little bit different and they want to purchase the systems. That's what the agency does. Boom. We split them out. We own an agency now. End of story. That's big news. <laughs> there was some emotional resistance to realizing this because first off, there is a lot of crossover. And it's a huge asset that, for example, we have well over 100,000 candidates in our database. That is an asset that any recruiting agency would want to build on their side, right? 150,000 candidates. So, you know, when you start thinking about like what we built over at Dynamite Jobs, we hired a consultant that's basically in the uh, job board industry to tell us how smart and how dumb we are, mostly how dumb we are. But essentially, it's like you dudes have like way overbuilt, <laughs> meaning like we're way far ahead of where we probably should be in terms of features because of the amount of customers that we have and the amount of revenue that we have. So, we're kind of having to recalibrate there a little bit and say like, hey, I think now at this point, we have like a sales and marketing problem. We have some really great product built. How are we going to go find people to use it? And one of the interesting things that I think will probably emerge for us in the future is starting to build tools basically for our agency. It's the classic 37 Signals playbook. It's yeah. like the first book we read about business. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are doing it wrong and coming back to it. So we're starting to build tools for our agency, basically driving our costs down there and making it more efficient for them to hire. And in turn, that's going to do the same thing for our customers. Honestly, Dan, I'm still a little bit conflicted on it, if I'm being honest, like if it needs to happen. But one thing is true, it's like very hard to market two kind of different products in the same website. And so it's part of the reason why we're doing it. Yeah. We featured the author of this beautiful book called Working Backwards. You're coming here saying working backwards has been an eye-opener for me in 2021 in my own way, right? You set your goals. You work backwards. You, what's your top goal? Ian says, don't die. That's my number one goal. <laughs> and then we work backwards from what we want to achieve. In the Amazon story of working backwards, they have decisions that are reversible and decisions that are non-reversible. The good news is, if you're one of our customers and you didn't listen to this podcast episode and you forgot the URL, you could still go to dynamitejobs.com and you can get your recruiting services. So this is not an irreversible decision. This is just an opportunity for us to reach out with a fresh brand 
and to reach out to new potential clients with a new value proposition that isn't, hey, we're a job board with recruiting services, but hey, we're a full service remote first recruiting firm. That's what we do. And good news, we have these amazing relationships with the best job boards in the world as well. In fact, we own one of them. That's big news. Number one, we're splitting out remote first recruiting from dynamitejobs.com. We have no idea what's going to happen. So stay tuned to see how it works. Number two, we've asked for help. You previously mentioned we've been reaching out to consultants, people in the industry who have been there, done that. We even went to a shrink session, which was really cool. We did a trust fall afterwards and cried in each other's arms. And <laughs> I got to st- say, I got the short end of the stick on that one. I mean, it's like you outweigh me by a couple pounds. Yes, you're taller, but it's a uh, it's much easier job for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've also started to implement our own light version of Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, which is also a international recognized business coaching program with a certified practitioner. So these are just three ways, Ian, that we've asked for help. And since we've last done a business update, these three things, the rubber has started to meet the road. Good friend of the show, Rob Walling of Tiny Seed and uh, MicroConf and Startups for the rest of us. He put out a great tweet the other day, and I think he had this in one of his presentations, and I'm just going to steal it. But it says, uh, money spent in your business can buy you years back. Money spent in your personal life can buy you hours back. It just really stuck with me because it's like this multiplier. And this is something that I think we're figuring out with these consultants. That's it's a like, nice it's, quote. It's a way to like cut the line, basically. This year, we got pretty aggressive just about seeking out people that had achieved our types of results and having conversations with them as a shortcut, basically. And this stuff is not cheap by any means, but you know, spending thousands of dollars to try and shortcut your way six months or a year or even like three years ahead of the line, I think is a very good investment at this point of our careers, Dan, and at this point in some of our businesses. So we did it in two ways this year, and I think we're going to do it a lot more in the future. One way is uh, we started talking to somebody that's run several job boards. And then the other thing that we did, Dan, in terms of trying to shortcut years off of our trajectory here is we both read this book, uh, Scaling Up, with a bunch of skepticism on my side, honestly, Dan. Uh, This is a very dense book, and I think I read it at first thinking like it was for much larger organizations. We're not that big now. Poor team of 12 with some contractors. And I thought like, ah, this is for bigger companies. But one of the things that it's forcing us to do is I think like simplify our process and also simplify our goals and our inputs and our outputs. And so basically we hired someone to help us implement this in our business. And here's the thing is like, you look at the price tag on some of this stuff, it's quite daunting, but I believe like with a lot of these investments that you can make it back fairly quickly. And so that's part of the process that we're in right now is like implementing some of these things. And maybe not everything is gonna get implemented from our sessions with this person, but if only a two or three things get implemented and maybe our thinking just changes a little bit, I think it's gonna be a huge way to buy a couple years basically of advanced growth. So there's the details of what we did, but I think there's an interesting structure when I look back on it in reverse that perhaps the listeners can think about for themselves. Essentially what we engaged upon was a Venn diagram of sort of business or entrepreneurship discovery this year. And the three components of that are number one, yourself and your own psychology. What are your 
emotional relationship to your business and your emotional blockers. Those things are absolutely critical because you got to show up every day and be an effective entrepreneur. So that's the first part. Of it. It's the you part. Then the second part of the Venn diagram is the consultant. It's the person who's been in the industry. It's the person who works at a big competitor. It's the person who been there, done that. I understand this market like the back of my hand. Let me tell you about it all afternoon long. And that's important too, because you got to make strategic decisions about how to position yourself relative to competition, what you're going to innovate on, et cetera. The third part then is systems and business structure. Is it one of the interesting things about our systems business coach? So the third part, he doesn't even need to know what we sell. It's incredible. <laughs> I'm almost laughing thinking about yeah. it that like, it's actually something that's been repeated hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of times. And there are best practices and they help guide a team towards a goal. And I think that there's a clarifying element about knowing what those things are and choosing things and applying them. One of the big things about systems business coaching, sometimes people say it's relative to revenue, but I think it might make more sense to attach it to headcount and just how the dysfunctions of a team start to come out as they get larger. And it's harder to rally the troops. You need to have more clarity in your communication, something that as a straight hustler, you might not be used to doing. So these business systems, although they can feel arbitrary or sometimes even strange, what they just help you to do is to find alignment with 15 or 20 other people in the universe. That's not something that most of us you know, have a lot of experience with. So those are the sort of the three ways we sought help. Maybe an interesting way to look for, like what element do you need to start looking for help with? Number three business update over at Dynamite Jobs. It's just another pretty good Wednesday. We just keep on keeping on our average growth percentage over every single month. And this isn't a weighted average, actually. I should fix that. But it's hovering around 80%. But if you weight it, we might be able to get to 100% growth this year, boss man, which is certainly good considering the meta-economic situation that everyone's talking about. If I look back to the beginning of the year, we had had hopes that we would be able to quadruple our run rate by the end of the year. It doesn't quite look like we're going to be able to do that. But nonetheless, I'm pretty satisfied with about a 100% growth figure for the year. I think going forward, we're going to start moving the goalpost back a little bit. Like three years, what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? Things that we should be doing now, today to get us there and then tweaking along the way. When we first started Dynamite Jobs, which is like our biggest project in the last couple of years, like it's been very intense from like a week over week perspective. Like, what are we doing this week? What about next week? What about next week? We have a fully functioning piece of software here that's like very feature rich. And I think that that's one of the ways to get there. But now looking into the future, I think we can have like a longer kind of view now that we have some basic features and functionality set out and kind of work backwards from that longer goal. It's going to take three years to get there, but it's going to work out as long as our, the information is coming back to us. One of my interpretations of that, Ian, is like, and maybe you guys can relate to this listening in. A lot of times we were smaller. We would manage the team with basically our feelings and our ideas about those feelings. So we'd be like, hey, I'm feeling like things are a little slow. Let's pump up the pace next week with this great idea. And then there's five people on the call and we'd all be like, that's great. Let's do that on Monday. And we would. And now that things are bigger, like that basically creates a herky jerkiness. It's essentially akin to changing your strategy every week. 
And so now what we're evolving to as we get larger is having strategies that have more clarity around them. And then every week we check in the scorecards to see, you know, how much on track we are to reaching the strategy. That's basically the idea. So there's more consistency, there's more simplicity, because that's what's required when you have a larger team, essentially. So number three, we just keep on keeping on. It's just another Wednesday at Dynamite Jobs. Again, we were talking about our business updates. Number four, we are finding a new audience here at the pod on occasion. I want to list the most popular episodes this year by far and away. The most popular episode, Ian, was the elephant in the room with the four-hour work week. Can solopreneurship make you rich? It's one of our few true, quote, rants of the year. Basically, we heard a conversation between Cal Newport and Tim Ferriss lamenting about the reception of the four-hour work week. This is something we really wanted to weigh in on because I think one way you can look at this podcast, Ian, is we're sort of the gathering spot for the implementers of the ideas of the four-hour work week, probably the primary gathering spot for those ideas. And having lived that world for 10 years, we see things a lot differently than Tim and Cal did. So we proceeded to rant and have the most popular podcast of the year. So maybe a lesson for us. I think what I take away from that, Ian, is that our listeners enjoy it and share the episode and it gets shared around when we share our original ideas on the podcast. A couple things, Dan. One is like clarifying our ideas and then presenting them. And then having people agree or disagree and then build on these ideas has been deeply satisfying over the years, especially to have people kind of recite your ideas back to you, implement them into their business and like hopefully change change your trajectory. It's an exciting thing to do, but it's very hard to do. Number two is just clarifying our own thoughts and ideas and implementing them into our own business. And so I'm looking forward to uh, in 2023, refocusing some of our energy towards coming up with some of these concepts. One of the things I like about this community, I'll do go back with like a little bit of edit pen. I know you don't mean it this way, but like most of these ideas aren't our ideas. You know, oh, like no. even the, most of the most popular ideas here I would hesitate to even predict which ones we originated. We just see the ones that seem to be true, see the ones that seem to repeat, seem to have an effect, and we repackage, we clarify where we can, we put a twist on it, we show an example, we interview more people about it to try to get some repetition going or see a, a new shade of it. And in fact, that's what we do through our interviews mostly. We're looking through these patterns. Often we are interviewing not theorists, but practitioners who are representing these ideas. By the way, just in this line, four other of the most popular ones were the interview with Jason Long, Brian Castle, Eamon from AppSumo, and another rant episode where we talked about the anti-work movement. So if people are looking for some other popular episodes from this year, but yeah, totally agree with you, Ian. I do think I agree with you. It's worth it when we do it. Check this out. Most TMBA listeners will already be familiar with the SEO agency Smash Digital. In fact, the founder, Travis Jamison, has been on the show many, many times. Last year, over 200 listeners took them up on their free SEO audits. They are no BS, no sales pitch, a 100% free SEO audit. Take them up on it. No Andrew, CEO of JobRack, says an incredible an awesome SEO teardown and review of my site from Smash Digital. Hugely detailed, tons of actionable steps, and clearly lots of opportunity to get benefit from focusing more on SEO. 
David Heehenberger, founder of Flamingo, writes, I got audits for both of my businesses and they massively over-delivered. They could easily charge for this, but they're not because you're listening to the TMBA podcast. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible offer of a free SEO video audit of your website in this month of October, head on over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA and a big up to Smash Digital for sponsoring the TMBA podcast. Number five is we're having a lot of fun. That's the update. You know, I come on this pod sometimes, boss man, and I say, if I could run this back again, I'd just go to dynamitejobs.com, shout out, and I'd get myself a nice, comfy, remote job. And I would never even think about entrepreneurship. That is such a load of horseshit. You know, I sit in these meetings with the coaches with you. We're drawing the diagrams. We're talking about what we're doing. We're booking our flights to Bangkok. I love this idea of building the team around us that we want to be a part of, working with customers that are super fun, inspiring. There's all these like virtuous cycles in our organization where we learn from our customers and we improve the product, then we talk about it. Then it's really, really fun. And I want to share with you my number one fun idea. Okay, I'm ready. I'm, Hopefully I'm it's a pizza down. party. I kind of want to do coaching. Now, it's one of these uh, self-licking ice cream cones, but I kind of want to, in the new year, find more ways to help operators of location and independent businesses get to seven figures and beyond. I want to put it out here on the pod. Email me, email Ian, if you think this is a cool idea. Why now though? It's one of those things. It's like, remember the early days of blogging? It's like the right time to blog about something is like four weeks after you implemented it. You know what I mean? Like four years later, it's like lost in the weeds and you don't have beginner's mind anymore. And yeah, you might be wiser and stuff, but you're not going to have that like energy and that sight of, I just did this and it's made a difference. You know, there's a kind of momentum and an energy to that, that I love about blogging. Right now we are being coached by a lot of different people. There's a gonzo quality to it. I feel involved. Here's a holy shit feeling I haven't shared with you. We spent a lot of money on these business coaches. One in particular was a five-figure check. And I was shocked. There was not even a question as to whether or not that was valuable to us. I was blown away by that experience. And I thought that that changed my mindset a lot because I became a real believer in this stuff in a way I, I really hadn't been in the past. I'd had worse experiences in the past. Number three, the confidence of having done it again and seeing the patterns. This idea of taking a business that has a quarter million dollars in revenue and pushing it over that seven-figure line is something that we now have many, many repetitions doing. And so I'm starting to see the patterns. I'm starting to feel more confident in my personal abilities, which I think is maybe not the most important thing. But we again, we talked about the Venn diagram. It's one-third of it. And then the final piece is the market demand, the intuition and the signs out there. I think People in our listenership, we're loving ideas like traction, the book traction. We're loving ideas like scaling up. But when you go to like a traction conference or you listen to a traction podcast, it feels like different organizations, different kinds of people, different target market. And it does seem like there's a lot of opportunity for people to come into our space, just like with all these other professional services, like recruiting, like taxes, and say, hey, like where are the business coaches of the world, the systems, the affordable systems and communities for people that want to build seven-figure location independent businesses. 
They could be right here at the podcast. They could be right here at the <laughs> podcast. One of the things that I've enjoyed a lot with this coaching sessions is the systems, Dan, honestly. And I think that's one of the things that is worth looking for. Number one is, has your coach taught this for long enough to understand what works and what doesn't, depending on the scale that you're at? Number two, and this is for yourself, but do you have the capacity to change? Do you have the capacity to implement some of these new systems that are being introduced in a way that may or may not benefit your business, but can you actually change things in your business? Are you in a position to do that? And again, like I said earlier on in the show, it's like super expensive. So I think like me 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, no way I'm going to spend my money on that. But now I'm trying to buy years of my life back, basically. I'm trying to accelerate my life by expertise. And so... If I can do that at this stage of my life in this stage of our business, I think it's a fairly good investment because I think we'll make it back. Thank you for requesting to hear about our business updates. We love sharing them with you. A lot of this is inspired by emails that you send to us. It's Dan, the name at tropicalmba.com. Ian, the name at tropicalmba.com. Send us an email. We love to hear from you. Speaking of emails, Ian, we promised to talk about two more topics. This next question is about fundamentally how much money is enough money. Let me read it to you. It's from listener Daniel. He says, two questions disguised as one. And I'm going to read the email now. Hey, Dan, I had an initial conversation with a potential strategic buyer, which hasn't moved since. And now that I've chosen it as an excuse to seriously consider an exit, I reread all the usual suspects like Built to Sell, Finish Big, Before the Exit, which is our book, and ended up concluding that I don't have any pool factors. I have things I want to do, and I'm not tired of the business. Is there a number I'd sell for? Yeah, of course. If the money was absurd enough, knowing me, I know I'd struggle with mindset around living off your capital. It came up in a recent episode, and then I thought, you must have struggled and perhaps conquered this fear. Sorry if I'm projecting. How do you think about living off of a cash pile, investing part in future ventures, et cetera? Any books or resources that have helped? Cheers, Daniel. And then actually, Daniel has a philosophy for coming up with his different freedom lines. The freedom line is, of course, the number at which financial questions are shelved for a lifetime. I'll just cut to the chase here. Most often in our community, that number is talked about as 10 million, although I've heard about it less and more. Daniel has a bunch of stuff which I won't read for privacy's sake. Instead, I'll turn it on to you, boss man, and ask you, how much money is enough money? This is a difficult topic. You know, it's almost one that's like, I think Daniel and a lot of people that are questioning this are in very fortunate positions and they should be grateful for that, right? And so it's not so much a matter of money necessarily than it is like, how do you want to spend your time too? Because I think guys like Daniel and people in similar position, if they sold their businesses, they'd have a lot, a bunch of free time basically. And so I think it's a question of like, how do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your days? Is it doing nothing, which is not usually the case for the crowd that's listening to the show and the way that they got here and the way that they built these businesses was by doing a lot for a long time. Yeah. So most of the time, the answer is like not take the money and chill on the couch. It's like take the money and do other things, right? So you might take a mini retirement for a year or two and then go invest in something else or start something or whatever it might be, a charity. I don't know. But most of the time, the people that exit their business, it's they can't sit idle. So I think if I'm Daniel, I have to ask myself, like, what am I going to do if I retire and I've reached my freedom line? 
the other thing I think that's emerging, and this is related but unrelated, is like it's so cool to see all these like financial instruments that are now available to people in Daniel's position. One of my favorite things to do is to um, follow like uh, Nick Huber, sweaty startup guy on Twitter, and like all these people that are buying these properties that are like storage units and stuff because it, this industry. It wasn't transparent at all. It was like one of the most least transparent industries, as far as I'm concerned. Like there wasn't like journals and whatnot written about it. Now there's all these guys on Twitter like explaining how they're buying these properties and types of properties that are, are cash flowing well and whatnot. And so if you're in a position like Daniel where maybe you have a big exit and you don't want to build another business, but you do want to have these financial instruments available to you, like never been a better time, basically, to like follow guys on Twitter and like figure out what they're investing in and like all these different funds. It seems pretty exciting if you're at that level to be able to participate, but not build. Yeah. Let me use this opportunity, this wonderful email from Daniel to do my favorite thing, which is a little bit of self-promotion. I recently got an email from a listener that took me up on my favorite deal of all time. The deal is this. You email me, dan at tropicalmba.com. I send you a free copy of our ebook. One listener recently took me up on this. He says, Rex, your book was immensely helpful and has motivated me to keep calm and carry on. I especially like the, why didn't our broker protect us from deals to meet you chapter? You nailed it with tire kicking Tanya, private equity Paul, synergistic Sal, and CEO Sally. Since 2006, what's the best way to tell others about your book? An email address or a link. Best regards, Rex. Anyway, there's a free download link for the insiders, the listeners of this pod. I just want to let everybody know that. Very strange. When we wrote the book, I believe we were basically the first book that was like a personal testimony of this sort of business being sold in the Amazon ecosystem. I don't know. I'm sure you could go into a library somewhere and find a book like this or blog posts and stuff. But we, we did some research before we wrote the book and it was like, well, this book doesn't exist. It's a terrible idea to write this book. Obviously, people don't want to buy books like this. Nowadays, mm -hmm. just a few short years, there are tons of books coming out with this kind of message, the message in Before the Exit. And the amount of readership that our book has picked up tremendously. In fact, we've gotten just as many reviews like in the last year that we got in the first few years that the book was up. And so it's kind of what you're saying about Nick Huber. This stuff is getting legible. More and more people are joining the Dynamite Circle with backgrounds like this, Ian. They're like, oh yeah, I worked in finance and I bought a business off of the Empire Flippers Marketplace or something like that. Like yeah. people with traditional money, they're looking to our niche and saying, wow, that's some sweet assets over there. I got to get involved. And then people like us are selling the damn things and wanting to read books about it or wanting to write our stories about it. So it's really interesting that, again, to see the things talked about on this podcast, just kind of getting a little bit early and then sort of coming out into the mainstream a few years later. So that's one of the thoughts I had. Another thing, I want to give a concrete answer to Daniel here. One of the freedom line conjectures that he has, and in this, we call it the lifestyle ladder, Ian, where different levels of money will get you different levels of lifestyle. One of the things that Daniel conjectures is that there's a certain amount of money to which you'd have no anxiety around money safety. And I will just say, I have not observed that money anxiety is correlated to amount of money. Let me guess, correlated to spending? Like how much you're actually spending? <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of times like people feel a lot of responsibility if they have a great deal of wealth. Maybe you got to go deep on that stuff and figure out what your relationship to money emotionally is. But from a freedom line perspective, the idea is that you could basically screw off 
And you never really be troubled for money for the rest of your life. And one of the punchlines in the book is essentially, if someone offers you that amount of money for your business, you really want to consider taking it. But if you're concerned about money happiness, something I've been thinking about, because a lot of people talk about this figure in relation to emotions. And that's one of the warnings in the book. One of the warnings in the book is take, try to take those emotions out of it. This is a very technical process. And you don't want to screw that up because you want to maximize your earning potential, right? Now, you might right. consciously decide to not do that. At least you're doing it from an unemotional, kind of fully rounded space. You know who the happiest people? Like, let's talk about emotions now for a hot minute. It typically seems that the happiest people aren't the people with the biggest business, aren't the people with the biggest bank accounts, but they're the people in a career or business that challenges them forces them to grow, but not too much, not too much intensity, not too much anxiety, and that their net profit or that their income is roughly a little over double what they need to live their best life. Those are the for, happiest people. <laughs> for example, my tile guy is a very happy guy. <laughs> I can tell you. So if you could design a business, like say your best life, taking your family around and stuff is like, Whatever that is for you, like quarter million dollars, 300,000, 100,000, whatever it is, figure it out, double it, add some margin in there, and just design a business that puts you around great people, puts you around great customers, and forces you to grow a little bit. Those people seem to be pretty damn happy in my book. That's the math that we did in the book, is like, uh, or I should say, that's the math we got wrong in the book, which is how long is it going to take me to make this money back? If I just sat and did nothing, basically, hired a GM, could continue to make this money probably for the next five or 10 years versus making our three years back right now. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways I can sum up the book for bootstrappers, founders listening to this is if someone's offering you, you know, say three to four times multiple for your small business, that might be fine for you, but you ought to have a very, very strong perspective about how you're going to proceed with that cash out. Like you really need to know what you're doing. So typically what I've seen is like, people who build businesses specifically for that kind of exit multiple because they're going to they have the clear parlay it's a system that they're following whereas like if you're like us and you built the thing over 5 to 10 years and your heart and souls in it and someone forwards you 3 to 4 times plus your inventory or whatever yeah really think about it get the book it's free check it out all right so our first section our five biggest business updates how much money is enough money we don't really know that's for you to decide final question is the Europe question revisited? In this year, we spent respectively seven and eight weeks in Europe. We did two episodes about that, and we've continued to receive interest, questions, follow-ups. So I thought we'd take a moment here to reflect on what we learned. So we talked a lot about what it was like to live in Europe this summer when we were in Europe. We had uh, members of the community rolling through. We had great meetups. We had a rooftop pool. We had access to amazing food and friends. It was a uh, highlight, 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 highlight after highlight. Great summer. And then now we're back in Austin, Dan. And I think that there's an argument for obviously staying in Spain longer. There's some things that would start to grind on me if I stayed in Spain longer. But you know, the reality is coming back to Austin, Texas is a major change. It's crazy in terms of like lifestyle, the way that I spend my days, the problems that I face, et cetera, et cetera. It's taken me several weeks to kind of readjust to life here. 
I took a walk on my shitty sidewalk today. You know, it's fine. Yeah. It's just like, there's nothing happening. There's nothing to see. I'm just dodging cars. I just had this thought, like, no one's going to come knock on my door. If I want to see somebody, I got to like make it happen. I got to like put it on a G-Cal somewhere, probably a few days out. I set an appointment to hang out with a friend before we got on this podcast. And it turns out it's three weeks later and it's both of our faults. It's everybody's part of the problem. Here's what I'll say about our summer. I want to say a few things about shout out to my digital nomads. I want to say a couple things to you guys. We talk about for better, or for worse, digital nomads often live in and use places as platforms. If we stick with that metaphor of a platform, it's like, what dance are you going to be doing on that platform? You know, And the dance we did this summer was beautiful. It was amazing. All these listeners of the show, people interested in entrepreneurship, people got together and hung out and shared their lives and shared their ideas. And it was a big heads up period. It was a big chance to like get a fresh perspective and to just be in a wonderful place together. I think the tough part is, is that you have these amazing experiences abroad or in a country and you start to conflate, you know, what happens to you during that time in that place with the actual place itself. Spending a summer in Spain with all your friends is a lot different than getting an apartment in Barcelona and being a resident of that city. And that's really, really interesting to me. There's a lot of crossover, but to parse those things apart has been an interesting process of coming home. One of the things I think almost everybody listening to this podcast can relate to. I look back at that eight or nine weeks we were in Europe and it really genuinely feels like eight or nine months. The density of the experiences, it's too intense to keep up. You know, you couldn't do it for eight or nine months. It was fantastic for what it was and certainly something that I think about when I think about the digital nomad life is those seasons and how they make the years feel denser and richer but that ultimately maybe not sustainable forever. I think one of the things that changed for me personally this year is that my uh, kid is, he's almost five years old. And so, you know, he went from being basically a blob to a human being (laughs) that has opinions about things. And so he had his own opinions about like Barcelona and Austin. And it's fun to watch him come back here and see the things that he's excited about. And I think people that have traveled to places like Barcelona can relate that live in the United States. It is so much easier to design a Saturday, a family-friendly Saturday or Sunday in Europe than it is America. You can trip your way into fun in Europe. It's like you trip your way to the aquarium, to the beach, to lunch, to breakfast, to a playground, et cetera, et cetera. In America, like the intention that it takes to get in your car, to drive to the different places, to like design the day is amazing. So I think it all boils down to basically like European infrastructure is really built for people, which is amazing. American infrastructure is built for commerce and cars. It's infinitely harder to design a fun day in most American cities versus in Europe. Bottom line, we're going back next year and we're tacking on a month. That is the update to the Europe question. So you got questions, we got answers. That's it for this week, boss man. Thanks for joining me and thank everyone for listening, for following along, for emailing us your ideas. You know our email addresses and for reading our ebook as well. We appreciate it. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week at Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.